Hello everyone, welcome back to Gamer's Gambit Episode 2 with your hosts, Alan Wayne. So, how's it going today, Wayne? It is wonderful today. It is as well as it can be. And yes. that means it's not worse than it could be. So <laughs> That is true, and we've got some uh, fun things to talk about today, so... Uh, definitely looking forward to some of the things that some of the new developments that uh, you know are, are on the horizon. Uh, we touched on a couple of these last episode where, well, let's just, uh, as you put it before we start recording, let's address the elephant in the room right away. Tomorrow is Super Smash Brothers Ultimate uh, release. So, uh, you're so are you excited about that as I am? I am excited for that because, like I said last week, I only got to play Super Smash Brothers on the Nintendo 3DS, and I didn't get to play on the Wii, and I've never really had a console to play it before. So having a full-blown, real console version of Super Smash Brothers I, on the Switch is going to be very interesting. It also may give me a chance to kind of think about if I want to buy Switch Online or not. It's pretty cheap. But at that point, you know, having someone also who has Super Smash Brothers, you know what I mean? Since I'm assuming you're going to have it, um, yep. <laughs> that means you know I might even have two people to play with over there. Yep, and yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it. And and you brought up the question: Are they almost having too many characters for this one? Yeah, it's it's we you brought it up last week, and I we I brought it up too. It's everybody finds their mains and everybody has characters who are better off than others. So having a great list of characters is always this great thing to have in fighting games. But then what about when you have something like, was it 70 or 80 characters in this one? How many of them are just, you know, taking up space on the roster and, you know, who might not turn out so good. That's true. Uh, Cause yeah, the, I think the 70 is a bit much, I mean, I totally respect what they're trying to do, where they're trying to bring together all the characters in the franchise. I do like that. But, like I said, whether it's going to be too many, well, I think that question remains to be seen. I think it's going to really de depend on how well they're all balanced, where if, I mean, you've got situations like where, like in Smash Brothers Brawl, one of the biggest complaints people had about that is that, you know, Meta Knight was pretty much, if you knew how to use him, you were almost unstoppable. And Ganondorf, because he was so slow, even if you did know how to use him, it was still difficult to use, you know, to make use of that character and his moves. So now we are recording this on December 3rd. So probably by the, so by the time that this episode drops, the app it's already going to be out um so who knows maybe sometime in the future uh we might have to again come back and take a look at that and you know maybe even like one of the i know one of the ideas i had for my geekery in general is i'd like to do an episode sometime uh a smash brothers retrospective because i think the game series has changed a lot over the course of its history and honestly i think for the better yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of people who claim uh, is it the GameCube version which was uh, Melee? Yep. Um, that they say is the best version and nobody's topped it yet. But then again, you hear people 
say that about other games as well. So it's like, is that really the penultimate version, or have they actually gotten better and added things? Personally, I liked Brawl better than Melee from what little I've played of Melee. Um, And I think it's just because of the adventure mode is just so fun. One of these days, because you said you've never played Brawl, correct? No, I've never played any of the... I haven't played... I think I played like three minutes of the N64 version. I never got a chance to play the GameCube versions and... Uh, the Wii U version never got one. I forget if there was one on the Wii or not. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the only one on the Wii was, uh, was Smash, was Brawl. So, yeah, one of these days I'll have to have, you know, some, you'll have to come over and I can introduce you to the awesomeness that was Brawl. Uh, mainly, like I said, the adventure mode on that was just so much fun, which is one of the reasons why when I found out that they were reintroducing uh, the adventure mode into ultimate that really got me excited about it. So, but moving on to newer, more recent topics, because of course, by the time that, you know, this episode drops, that's going to be old news. And so the first new story is that there's a possible new alien game in the works. They did, uh, they did trademark. Actually, let me go back and look up the, I forgot the name of the company that's making it. Oh boy. I'm professional, aren't I? You are. I am just the. I am that Boy Scout in me, always prepared, just just working away at it. So, you know, now nowadays with the internet and Google, you are always prepared because as long as you have a search browser up, you can figure out anything. Yep, the internet, the source of all knowledge. So, uh, so the 20th Century Fox has filed an app, a trademark application, for the video for a video game called alien blackout and now the article i read about it on GameSpot was saying that it's not you know this doesn't necessarily mean that it's a video game that is going to be released but that it might there just might be trying to preserve the copyright for something else because uh, they mentioned in this article that activision trademarked call of duty secret warfare but those games never came to be but in the case of Alien Blackout, there was a teaser image on Twitter uh, from Jeff uh, Kingley. Healy. Healy. Yeah. Okay, I'm not sure who that is. But he it said, Worlds Will Change on December 6th. Hashtag the Game Awards. So uh, they're, again, impossible by the time this episode drops. This is going to be old news. but uh, So that might be when they're going to be... Uh, releasing information about this game now i know the alien franchise when it comes to video games has been really kind of hit or miss now have you (laughs) colonial wars (laughs) (laughs) now have you played a lot of the alien and alien vs predator type games I never had an Atari Jaguar, so when the first and best Alien game apparently came out, um, which was Aliens vs. Predator, I never got a chance to play that. Um, In the arcades, I used to love the Aliens game because, you know, I believe it was Capcom who made that, or was it Konami? I think it was Capcom. Yeah, but they they had that one, and I believe they had an Aliens vs. Predator beat-em-up game, and those, those were awesome. Um, now the ones on the, I had pre-ordered back in, what was it? 
when was it officially announced for Aliens Colonial Marines? Um, it took I'm so long sure. to actually bring out. I remember that they didn't even know that I had it pre-ordered at GameStop anymore because it <laughs> had been so long uh, for that game to come out. Um, I have Alien Isolation on the PS4, but I've never actually played it. And with this one, I'm kind of interested because there was a rumor going out there that for the Game Awards, because Jeff Keighley has this friendship apparently with Hideo Kojima, that Kojima was actually invited to Fox Studios to take a look around and possibly comment on the progress for the Alien Blackout. So if that's true, that kind of excites me because Hideo Kojima is a pretty good person for the video game industry with Metal Gear. And I don't know if you've ever seen the PT trailer, um, I know but I that was that was a very interesting look at what uh, the new Silent Hill game might have looked like. Yeah, because um, before we I mean, uh, in prepping for the episode, I did watch a video review on Alien Isolation where it was definitely a lot different than the other Alien games. There was a lot more emphasis on sneaking and not being found because, you know, like the aliens would do things like they'd camp out and wait for you. And, you know, until you found uh, the right weapons, you know, you're pretty much screwed if you meet up with an alien. So it was one of those things where I guess it, it, the gameplay wouldn't have appealed to everybody for that reason. Um, so, but I mean, I'm not, not a huge fan of the Alien franchise. I've played a few of the games. I have played, uh, Aliens 3 for, on the Nintendo Entertainment System. I think that was made by LJN, so you can pretty much guess how that was. And, well, let's face it, movie-based games during the 8-bit era, how often did you really have high expectations? Heck, movie-based games nowadays, you don't really have very much <laughs> good expectations. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and, and again, that's something we could talk about in an entirely episode one day. But yeah, movie-based games and why some succeed and some fail. But uh, the, again, yeah, the, the Alien one for the Nintendo wasn't that great. Uh, I played the arcade ones. There was also, I think it's called Alien Extermination. It's another arcade game, uh, you know, first-person shooter. That one was okay. Uh, but other than that, I'm not... I've heard and I've seen gameplay footage from them. So I think it's cool if you're an Alien fan. Well, I mean, even though I'm not really a huge Alien fan, I think it's cool that they are trying to make a new game for it. And it would be interesting if they tried to do something different for it. And uh, I'm probably not going to run out to the store to get it when it first comes out. But, you know, hey, if you're into the Alien franchise, then I hope this game lives up to your expectations. Definitely. There's been so many that haven't. So, I mean, Alien Isolation was one of those that just, as far as I'm aware, you know, I'm not very good at stealth, so it wasn't necessarily a great game for me, but it pretty much lived up to everybody's expectations because of the horror aspect. Now, if they can actually bring something out that combines kind of the horror and the uh, shooter aspect, because, you know, aliens kind of change the jo genre for the movie uh, to make it an action movie instead of just a horror movie. So, mm -hmm. yep. And a little bit of trivia. And again, I've I'm not sure if this is true or just an urban legend, but supposedly the first alien movie was inspiration for Metroid because you were supposed to have this feeling of isolation and that, 
you know, almost hopelessness because of all the enemies you had to face. So moving on, next order of business is there is now a projected release date for Kingdom Hearts 3, January Yay. 29th. <laughs> now, I never played any of the Kingdom Hearts games. I do like the concept where it's basically a Final Fantasy Disney crossover and there's times where you get certain uh you know where you get Disney characters that join your party. I know a little bit about the new the main protagonist in that Sora and then I guess his main two party members are Goofy and Donald. Yeah, definitely. Um Kingdom Hearts is a very strange game to describe. Um the story well, is just you Wayne, wouldn't even realize you use, it. You use keys as your primary weapons. I, I I don't think you can get much stranger than that. No, you know, it's like just get the keyblade is a very it's kinda like you haven't really seen too much like that since the keyblade from Final Fantasy Eight, you know what I mean? It's just a the giant blade, key that yeah. you whack people <laughs> upside the head with. Have um, you ever, um, have you ever seen the Honest trailer for Kingdom Hearts? Yes, I love Honest trailers. Oh yeah, I love that one. He's talking about like he, the guy's talking about the keyblades. He's like a weapon that's clumsy and unwieldy, even by Final Fantasy standards. <laughs> exactly, and you're like, the, okay, well, we're doing this. Yeah, I mean, you um, look at, like, swords, you know, Cloud's Buster Sword and, uh, you know, Sethiroth's, you know, huge katana and the gun blades. So, yeah, I see what they mean. Uh, clumsy and unwieldy, even by Final Fantasy standards. Exactly. So, uh, have you ever actually, not to get too off topic, but have you ever actually seen, I believe, um, the Blacksmith YouTube videos where they actually made the actual Buster Sword from Final Fantasy? Fantasy eight and they're trying to swing it around. Oh, from seven yeah, I've seen uh I've seen a couple of those. Um there used to be this show, I forgot what channel it was on, but it was called I think like Big Ass Swords or something like that, where this yeah. guy would you know, he was a blacksmith, he would make these large swords. Sometimes they were based on fantasy or movie swords. Other times someone would just ask him to make like a really big sword. And yeah, those were always fun to watch. But about my main experience with Kingdom Hearts, uh, you know, I've talked about Final Fantasy Record Keeper and how I'm a big fan of that game. They did have a Kingdom Hearts crossover event. I'm not sure if they're going to do another one. It would be cool because um, the the two characters they introduced for it uh, you, that you could recruit were Sora and Riku. And yeah, Riku is... I've I actually have some good equipment for Riku. He's primary he's my prime one of my uh better dark users for like dark attacks, but anyways, it sounds like you've had more experience though with Kingdom Hearts than I have. So yeah, I've well I don't know for sure, but I've beaten both the games so far. I've never played any of the DS releases or any of those. So I just bought the uh two pack that has the um Kingdom Hearts 1.5 and 2.5, plus all the little offshoots that came out for them, um, which I was surprised because I know you have an Xbox One, and they're bringing out Kingdom Hearts 3 for Xbox One, but they're not really bringing out the compilation game to let you play what everything that came before that. 
that just seems like a weird move for that. Yeah, because I was reading an article about it, and it was either an article or maybe it was something on YouTube, but they're saying, yeah, if this is going to be... Kingdom Hearts 3 is not a good intro game because... No, not at all. Yeah, because if you've, if you've never played a Kingdom Hearts game in your life, then you're pretty much going to be confused. Yeah, and that's pretty much... I mean, I am even confused at times only because I haven't played, like, um, the the card the the first card game that goes from one to two um and then there's the second game and then there's a whole bunch of stuff from the second game now to the third game that they've released and looking at what the story supposedly is versus what's actually been shown to you if you just play the first two games it's just kind of like where did all this stuff come from? And especially now that you're starting the third game without having any idea what came before. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you play it, you're going to, I mean, the gra- the graphics look amazing. I mean, I don't know. Have you, you taken a look at anything like the Toy Story 3 level? Okay. Um. Yeah, I haven't seen many of the, much of the gameplay footage, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm sure that, of course, anything coming out on the, current generation consoles is going to have really really good graphics so so i i think that definitely hardcore kingdom hearts fans would probably would really appreciate it because weren't you saying that like there was a that the announced date kept being delayed and delayed and delayed yep and um it's now been it's kind of like uh final fantasy 15 in a way because it was announced so long ago and then no real it wasn't necessarily announced, but the actual we knew that it was coming out because of the ending of the Kingdom Hearts 2. So it's kind of like, well, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and then you know, uh, finally it's out now, and it's been delayed a lot. So you know, well, if it makes if I'm willing to put up with delays for a game that I'm anticipating, if it means that they're going to release a better product, um, like one game that I'd like to pick up when it comes out is bloodstained ritual of the night it's like a spiritual successor to symphony of the night which is a just a fantastic game so unfortunately they said that was delayed because uh, i i don't remember the exact reason why i guess they were still working on some some stuff but if given it given a choice i'd much rather wait a couple more months than have them release a game with lots of bugs and that isn't going to play correctly or that I'm going to have to download a crap ton of DLC to get the full story. Exactly. No, I, I don't know about you. I kickstarted Bloodstained uh, and I've been like, I played the actual demo and everything and oh, I'm so waiting for that. The box boss, not a good thing. Yeah. The the, so, <laughs> Cause uh, I did pick up a uh, Bloodstained curse of the moon on the switch and I enjoyed that one. It's definitely got that Castlevania feel to it. The way I guess I would describe it, it's like it takes the best aspects of Castlevania 3 and improves upon them. I like how you have the multiple party, but what I really like about it is the fact that you don't you're not limited to just one ally. You know, you can switch between the four. So that's cool. So And I like that they actually had in the uh 
the Castlevania 3 aspect and the Metroidvania aspect where if you have other characters in Curse of the Moon, uh, you can actually explore the castle in different ways. There's actually – or not the castle, but in this, you know, the levels in different ways to reach other areas. Yeah, that, that was cool too. So, well, moving on, speaking of Switch, uh, this is going to be a little bit of a, a bummer for any Legend hardcore Legend of Zelda fans. Uh, Nintendo, I guess, they did confirm that, at least as of now, there's no plans for Skyward Sword on Switch. Mm, doesn't really affect me too much. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as much, I haven't got as much into the newer Zeldas. I mean, I really lo I loved the first one. The second Zelda was okay. I also really got into Link to the Past. Uh, but I haven't gotten as much into the 3D Zeldas, though I've heard a lot of good stuff about Breath of the Wild. So, what are your thoughts about how... Well, first, have you ever played Skyward Sword? I have for only a few minutes. Um, one of the things that turned me off, uh, especially about the... Uh, we in general was that it was turning into all gameplay turned into the, they said they had motion controllers, but all the motions began turning into the same motions. So you were just doing the same thing, no matter what game you were playing. And with Zelda, I am such an avid person that it, it doesn't need motion controls that when I played it, I just was kind of like, eh. oh, well. Because with the Wii, sometimes the motion controls weren't that great, which is one of the reasons I'm kind of sad, in a way, that the new Zelda game's not coming out for the Switch, is because they did, at least from what I understand, improve upon motion controls, so perhaps they could release, if you really wanted to, the game that everybody should have, you know, should have experienced at first, if only the Wii controls were a little bit better, you know? Yeah, that, I can see that. Definitely, you have a good point there. Uh, yeah, because the motion, as much as I like the Wii and I've had a lot of fun with it, I do agree the motion controls are a mixed bag. My big problem is when they introduced games where they were, where they tried to, they incorporated motion controls when they didn't really need them. Uh, one good example, I played a little bit of a game, and actually I did a Bargain Bin Adventure episode on this many, 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 many episodes ago on Geekery in general. Uh, it's one of the games based on the, the, the two Narnia movies that Disney made, uh, the one for Prince Caspian on the Wii. Honestly, it was a fun game. Unfortunately, my disc got scratched and I haven't got it repaired. It reminded me a lot of, well, have you ever played the Lord of the Rings games that EA made? You know, based on the Two Towers and uh, Return of the King? Never got a chance to play those. But, yeah, I mean, they were fun games. You know, isometric perspective, run around, sla hacking and slashing at things. So the Prince Caspian was a lot like that. But the thing, the reason I hated it, or one of the parts I hated about it is, as I said, they were putting in motion controls where they won't weren't needed. Like, for example, one of the characters has like a grappling hook. So when you get to a part where you need to do a grappling hook, it's like you have to twirl the Wii remote around. And there was another one where you want if you wanted to pull a switch to open a door, it's like you had to press one of the buttons on the Wii remote and then shake it around. It's like, okay, why can't I just walk up to the door, press a button, and open it? 
yeah, it's just that it it turns into I don't know if I'm saying this right. It turns into a block more than an enjoyable feature. Yeah, like, that's, I, that's I feel true. motion motion controls are supposed to add to your enjoyment, not just to be this thing that, oh, we're just adding this here to, you know, pad out our game a little bit and have you do something more, you know. It's, it's supposed to be something for, you know, more immersion, more than and just a crazy thing. I'd have to say there's two games on the Wii where I felt the motion controls really did turn out well enough where it did add to the game. The Force Unleashed and Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I mean, I've... Because I played uh, the predecessor to Ultimate Alliance, um, X-Men Legends, and Mm -hmm. there were some moves that I had a hard time pulling off on the controller, but I could pull them off really easily on the, the Wii U version. Now, with uh, have you ever played Force Unleashed? Yes. Uh, did you play it on the Wii or something like Xbox or PlayStation? PlayStation. Yeah, because the thing I liked, I mean, the the Wii remote and nunchuck, it really allowed, it, it made it really easy and actually really fun to chain together your Force powers. So those are probably the two games that come to mind where, well, actually Mario Party wasn't bad either. But anyways, so to continue, uh, next, continuing with the Switch, Sega Classics out on Switch on December 7th. So, Wayne, do you remember the 16-bit wars? We do. Super Nintendo is better than Genesis, in my opinion. But Sega does know... what Nintendo don't, you know, back in those days. Exactly. Did you ever think... That, you know, going back to the our perspective in the 16-bit wars, and I, I agree, I, I, I was always on the Super Nintendo side, but did you ever think that we would ever see an officially licensed Sega product on a Nintendo system, let alone Mario and Sonic appearing in a game together? Not, not back then, no. It yeah. was, it was pretty much... I want to say that the games just inherently usually were different. You just didn't see, you know, the kind of design philosophy, the philosophy, you know, for one versus the other. So it's kind of like they were like two separate tracks usually from one another. Yeah. So I don't know. And I, I've heard some people say that it's actually maybe better for Sega that they're just doing software development now because their hardware wasn't really doing that great. So you know, it's better to keep the brand alive and just do software, even if it means you're now appearing on Nintendo. So, anyway, so it, it seems natural that eventually they would release some sort of Sega Genesis compil- compilation disc for, or game for the Switch. Because I do have the one they made for the Xbox uh, 360, and I enjoy yep. it. You know, I, there's there were a lot of good games on this one. This one has a total of 50 games, and some of the features, well, of course, I'm sure there's going to be different, like, awards you can get, but, um, you know, it does some of the other emulator things, like, it lets you, I guess, decide whether you want to smooth out or have it pixelated, and it allows you to adjust the settings, and I've just seen some screenshots, there's even an option where it puts a frame around it representing an old tube TV like we used to have when we were kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, 
and I did take a scroll through the through the list and just going to go through it quickly. Uh, Alex Kidd in Enchanted Castle, um, Alien, see Alien Soldier, uh, Alien Storm, Altered Beast, Beyond Oasis, Biohazard Battle, uh, Bonanza Brothers, Columns, Columns 3, what happened to Columns 2? Uh, Comic Zone, Crackdown, Decap Attack, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Dynamite Heady, E-SWAT, Fatal Labyrinth, Flicky, Gain Ground, Galaxy Force, Golden Axe 1, 2, and 3, Gunstar Heroes, Kid Chameleon, Landstalker, Light Crusader, Fantasy Star 2, 3, and 4, Ristar, Shadow Dancer, Secret of Shinobi, Shining in the Darkness, Shining Force 1 and 2, Shinobi 3, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, and and uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic 3D Blast, Sonic Spinball, Space Harrier, Streets of Rage 1, 2, 3, uh, Super Thunderblade, Sword of Vermilion, Revenge of Shinobi, Toe Jam and Earl, Toe Jam and Earl, Panic on Funkutron, Vector Man 1 and 2, and Virtua Fighter. So one of the things I do like about that lineup is they're doing, I know there's some games on there that weren't released on the Xbox 360 version. So I might actually consider picking this one up. Yeah, no, it's interesting, mind you. I didn't look at what was on the Xbox 360 version. I used to own that as well. I just know, to this day, every once in a while, I'll get the Altered Beast uh, song in my head. Yeah, um, the yeah, after the first stage. I actually like that. It's one of my favorite video game music pieces. Yeah, because the, the nice thing about the Xbox 360 version... And I don't know if they released it for PlayStation at the time. I'm, I'm sure they did. But you could get unlockable extras. There were some Sega games you could unlock, as well as some arcade games. Uh, like you could unlock the arcade version of Altered Beast. Uh, you could unlock um, Golden Axe Warrior, which was actually a fun game. And then uh, the other, you could also unlock, uh, I know, uh, Fantasy Star 1. That was a sad thing, too, because... There was a rumor that, and I believe it's true, but that they remade, and they still have not brought it out to the U.S., but they remade the actual original Fantasy Star for either PS2 or PS3, and they were going to bring all those over, and then they never did. That's why when I see Fantasy Star 2, Fantasy Star 3, Fantasy Star 4, which, in my opinion, Fantasy Star 4 is the best one, even though it was the most expensive um card i love fantasy star force so the fantasy star series you know i'm glad and i would hope that they have that still unlockable in there now for fantasy star 4 is that the one where you you had the several generations that you played through where you get married and that would like and you'd have a child and that wouldn't that would uh affect the the next character you played or was that three that was three generations of doom I thought that sounded like a really cool idea, so uh, might be. And I mean, Fantasy Fantasy Star Four, I've never played. Uh, as I said, I played a little bit of three, and I've played some of two as well. Okay, yeah, two two is really hard because you just don't know where you're going, and the monster encounter counters are just off the wall. 
and then three I beat, but I don't really, it wasn't really that memorable, I don't think. Yeah, there's two things that bugged me about Fantasy Star 2. First is in the interior sections where you had, like, the pipes above you. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, yes, I know it looks kind of atmospheric, but I just found it, I just found it annoying after a while, and... I also didn't like it how the names for your techniques, your spells, it's, you know, if you didn't have a manual or you've never played it before, it was really kind of trial and error because it's like, okay, I've got this spell fan. What does it do? You know, so. Because <laughs> it doesn't actually say anything. It doesn't even sound anything like what it actually does when you go ahead and turn it on. Yeah, so, I mean, all in all, I think it's a good idea because there's some really good games in there. Uh, there's some like Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle. That one I don't know why they're putting on there. They could have did without that one. Gain Ground, I always had a lot of fun with that one. Golden Axe, uh, those games are always a lot of fun. You know, good basic yeah. beat-em-ups. Uh, actually, Golden Axe 3, I'd like to get that, try that one a little bit more because I know that one you get multiple different routes you can take. Yeah, no, I liked Golden Axe uh, 3, Golden Axe 2, Golden Axe 1. Um, I was wondering, did you ever play ESWAT in the arcade? Not in the arcade, just on the Genesis, because it was part of the collection. Okay, so, because I liked, I liked ESWAT in the arcade. When it came out for Genesis, I was a little bit, it wasn't necessarily this, that's one thing I always was grumpy about, is when a game would come out in the arcade, and then you'd get it for the home console, and then it's like, uh, but they made changes to it. Yeah, and it can be for both good or bad. Again, you have to really go back in my... You have to go pretty far back in my Geekery in general catalog. But I did do a, a review... I did do an episode called When Arcade Games Come Home, where my guest uh, Josh Hadley and I, we discussed, you know, no, okay, how you know, what it was like with some games when they came to the arc from the arcade to home. And some of them were just more successful than others. And I mean, I'd have to, and then sometimes though, when they make the jump from the arcade to the home, sometimes the home one actually turns out better. It's and it's because they do a whole different thing with it. Like two of the examples I usually give are bionic commando and willow where they're nothing. They're pretty much nothing like the original arcade versions but they actually turn out better for it because if they just ported it to a home system, it wouldn't have worked out as well. I haven't played those in so long that, and I, I didn't even know Willow had an arcade version. Yeah, it was. It was pretty much a side-scrolling platformer. It wasn't bad. I mean, you, you, there were some stages you had to play as Willow, and there were some you had to play as Mad Mardigan. And then towards the end, uh, I think like the last one or two stages, you got to choose who you wanted to play as, and. There were stores you would visit along the way where you could buy power-ups, so in that way it was kind of like Forgotten Worlds. Uh, I don't know if you ever played that game or not. Uh, so I like that one. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was, a, it was a decent game for the time, but Willow for the NES, still one of my favorite games to this day. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Willow as well for the NES. But, you know, Wayne, Talking about all these old classic games for, you know, the Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, you know, it kind of makes me nostalgic because remember when there was a day and an age when you would buy a game and you knew you got the complete game and you wouldn't have to spend another penny on it. You know, like, let's again, just use Willow for the NES as an example. 
once you got it, you could pop it in your game, your Nintendo. You could, well, you might have to blow on it a few times, but that's an entirely different story. Uh, but you could pop that baby into your NES and you could play it as without having to worry about buying anything else once you got the game. Weren't, wasn't that a glorious time? Yes, um, I I shudder to think of what, knowing the next topic, what it would have been like if uh, certain mechanics were put into games back then. It just would have been, <laughs> oh, God. Yes, and that is the next story we have. This is another one, article from GameSpot that loot boxes are going to be investigated by both the U.S. and Australia. And this is one of those things that some people like them, some people hate them, some people love them, some people love to hate them. But you're right. I mean, would, can you imagine what Super Mario Brothers would be like if it had microtransactions? You'd get to the end of the world, you'd be like, Thank you, Mario, but our princess is in the next castle. Pay one ninety nine to get the next four stages. Exactly. No, I and I don't know why, but I had the same idea except for, for the mushrooms. Oh, <laughs> it looks like you lost your mushroom. Would you like to pay ninety nine cents for another one? <laughs> yes. So the next topic is well, loot boxes and how there have been some places where they have started putting regulations on it. I know Hawaii was one of the was the first state in the U.S. that was starting to really crack down on this. I think Belgium and a couple of the other places in the in the U in the in Europe were also starting to put uh, restrictions on loot boxes. And the reason why is there's people that are claiming that loot boxes should be classified as gambling. So why don't we start this next section by discussing that? So loot boxes, okay. loot crates, microtransactions, however you want to describe them. Do you think it's truly should be classified as gambling or do you think it's something different than gambling? So here's where I come in on this topic. All right. The games industry at this point, especially AAA games industry, can say whatever they want whether it's gambling or not gambling. The problem is, is they've formatted it to be as toxic as you can from a mental aspect and how it tricks your mental abilities to think in the same lines as if you were gambling, that for them to call it not gambling is just a straight-out lie because that's the entire reason that in a way, loot boxes, loot crates, and the entire thing exists is because they want to get you in that, I will win something big, I will win something big, I will win something big. The entire concept of you don't get paid out for it, and that means it's not gambling. Yeah, but you've designed it that even though you're not getting actual money for it, you're getting something that you want. Therefore... Yeah, no, it's the same thing as gambling for me because, sadly, they've designed it so that it would trigger on the on the weaknesses of what gambling does to a person. Yeah, and I mean, I can see, I can definitely see your argument there, and I guess the one of the counter arguments, and if you go on YouTube, uh, Matt Pat from Game Theory. He has a couple of episodes where he's talked about that, and he's mentioned some of the he made some of the points you did there. 
where it's based on the mechanic that no one wants to lose and that what these games do, you know, especially ones on your smartphone, uh, is they will track your spending habits. Um, and I guess they do this in some casinos where let's say you're putting in, you're dropping coins in, you're pulling the slot, you're pulling the slot, you're not getting anything. But when you, they think that you're getting to the point where you're about to give up, then they'll, you know, make the machine give out, you know, give you a decent payout. Maybe not yeah. necessarily enough to get back all the money you spent into it, but at least enough to try to keep you going. Now, as far as how it could not be gambling, one of the points, and again, Matt Pat was bringing this up in his uh, one of the episodes he was doing on it. You know, he was saying that, well, I, I, this is the argument I think that the video game industry makes. If you go to, they compared it to a casino. Let's say you go to a casino and you drop a hundred dollars and you don't get any big payouts. You've lost that hundred dollars. But let me just use a game that I play a lot of. Uh, I mentioned Final yeah. Fantasy Record Keeper. That game does have, you know, microtransactions. See, in that game, what they have is, uh, well, they do give you a special resource called Mithril. And when you save up enough Mithril, you can do a relic draw. And since what they do is uh, they have different events that they, they have a new event they run each week based off of a different Final Fantasy game. Like, for example, the week we're recording this, it's for Final Fantasy X. And what they would do is uh, you can draw, if you draw on that banner, you have a better chance of getting one of these new relics for Final Fantasy X. And because of the power creep in that game, you, you have to start upgrading your stuff eventually. Well, uh, if you don't have enough Mithril, but you really, 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 really want you know, Titus's new sword or uh, Waka's new Blitzball or whatever, you know, whatever they've got in there, you can pay actual money to do a transaction and you get gems. And then, again, you use that to, um, you know, you can use that to to do a, one of these relic draws. Now, the what most people do is there's the times 11 draw where you get 11 relics uh, they're always going to be at least a three-star relic, but they changed. They made a change a while ago where now you're always, whenever you do a times eleven draw, you're always guaranteed at least one five-star relic. Um, so that's nice because uh, as one of the old timers on that game, I remember the day where you could do a relic draw and get nothing but three stars. Um, so I will give them credit on that. They have actually improved the draw rates. But one of the re reasons I can kind of see the argument about not being gambling. Even if I don't get, you know, the sword or the the armor or the weapon that I want, I still have other equipment that I can use. Now, granted, whether it's going to be of much use to me, again, just because in my case, since I've been playing the game since near the beginning, my chances of getting a duplicate are going to be greater than the average person's. Um, so that's one of the things where they argue that it's not gambling because, again, you go to a casino and you drop $100, you lose it. But in, let's say, Record Keeper, if I do $100 worth of microtransactions, I'm getting something that I can still use in the game. Yeah, and the, and here's, I think, where it gets a little weird also. So there's a difference between microtransactions and the loot box gambling mechanic because there's always something that, like, in my opinion, 
your microtransactions, even loot boxes in a way, because I don't, you know, really buy the loot boxes, as long as they're available in-game or at least being able to buy through, I guess, not exorbitant, you know, grinding, you know, and to me, like, if I don't know if you've looked into any of the Red Dead Redemption stuff, but they've been saying that in Red Dead Redemption for their uh, gold bars, it equaled out to about eight hours of grinding to get, you know, one gold bar or whatnot, which was in-game currency. Otherwise, you'd have to go, you know, buy their shark cards or whatnot. In that way, you know, that's totally ludicrous to have a mm -hmm. full-time job just to be able to play the game. Yeah. But at the same time, if you want to go buy a skin, if you want to go buy something like that, if you want a chance at a random draw of something because you do like the ability because there are people who aren't addicted to gambling who do like the thrill of you know putting the penny the nickel the quarter the dime into the slot machine and seeing what happens you know what i mean and then they can walk away the problem yeah. is if you don't give any other option for them but to use that system to draw them in in my opinion yeah and one of the like one of the concerns I know and one of the reasons they're investigating it is they're concerned about how a lot of these games are aimed at children, especially mm -hmm. the smartphone games. And they're designed to build upon the excitement. Like one of the things they mentioned is, you know, long animations to open the box because they want you to really savor that anticipation. Again, just to go back to Final Fantasy Record Keeper. When you do a draw, what happens is Dr. Mog, one of the characters in the game, appears. And he waves his arm around and 11 little spheres appear. They go down into this book and then they pop up and there's this big exciting sound. And then it shows you whether you're getting, whether you're actually getting some good items or whether you're going to get total junk and, well, not necessarily junk, but whether you're going to get more three-star items than, you know, five or six-star items. So, again, and that's how it's like with a lot of these games, with the microtransactions where they've got that draw, they try to make it take longer so that way you've, you build that anticipation and that excitement you were talking about. And I don't see microtransactions stopping anytime soon because, well, again, there was this video I was watching, and they were, it was saying how many companies are actually starting to pull away from loot boxes. EA being the major exception. Surprise, surprise. But uh, they were saying that EA alone made about $4 billion from microtransactions. And by 2022, so let's see, it's almost the end of 2018. So about, you know, a little over three years from now, it's estimated to, to go and become a $50 billion industry. So another one of the questions is, well, should the industry self-regulate these microtransactions or loot crates, loot boxes, or do you think that's something the government should do? Well, first and foremost, I think the industry has had the opportunity to um, self-regulate. I think they have chosen not to at this point. I have heard about uh, like Call of Duty and Activision uh, actually setting up their games to put you frustrate you 
and put you in uh, matches in like Call of Duty so that you could see them with you know all the gear they have and then promptly um, after you get beaten because you're so far you know way out from this like guy who's got totally max weapons and pretty much is on a different playing level than you you know what i mean you'll be like more wanting to do that and the gaming industry ea activision uh probably even more than that probably even ubisoft in a way i mean look at assassin's creed um odyssey here where they went well we're gonna make the game really grindy but for X number of dollars, you can buy this XP boost for just to make it a little easier to get through. You know, they're getting worse a little bit with their predatory ways, and they have no interest in self-regulation. So I do believe that as gamers, we have to choose, you know, what... I mean, as far as I know, EA is always going to be there, so there's no, like, doing it. But who would have thought with the Battlefront 2 fiasco with the loot boxes that the voices of the people who were just going, you're going to put main characters that should be just automatically in this game under loot box for random things that we have to pay for? No, we're not going to do that. I would have never seen that. So, yeah. I mean, I think gamers have to first regulate it first by not purchasing games, you know, that are predatory. And then the second thing is that, yes, the government should step in and just go, you know, because the government really isn't going to say you can't sell these loot boxes. They're going to be first say you have to put the odds of actually winning the loot boxes up for people to see. Yep. And that I can agree with, and I think, and I think you're making this point too. How it has to start with the gamers. If we stop buying loot boxes, or if we stop buying games that you know are heavily focused towards loot boxes, eventually the gaming industry is going to have to listen to us and realize that hey, you know, people want to be able to buy a game and not have to be nickel and dimed on it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, I know the government may have to step in in some cases. Like one idea I heard about, and I can actually see this, that the ESRB might start, you know how they've got the labels for like the, the ratings, like T for teen, M for mature and all that, yeah. that they might come up with a new label that they have to put on games. And this would just mainly be for like physical games um, that you would buy mm -hmm. in a store. Because okay, if you now do you have a first? You have a smartphone, right? Well, it's question. I have seen it. Yeah, I have a smartphone. Yes. Do you have a iPhone <laughs> or do you have a Android? iPhone. Yeah, because I know you go to the App Store. It will say, granted, the letters are a little, are a little small, but it'll say in-app purchases. So yep. at least you know that okay, yes, I'm getting this game for free, but they're expecting me to spend money. But I personally don't see any problem if they did have some sort of label that they would require them to put on their games that, you know, just warns the customer, hey, this game has microtransactions, so beware, you know, be informed. So re recently there was an article out there, though, and this is where I kind of disagree in that fact, that they are now seeing a rise of 
children slash adults gambling more because they've been more introduced to loot boxes and other things that the video games have in them. There's They're saying there's a direct correlation that needs to be researched on how this is possibly hurting kids, you know, above, uh, below a certain age into thinking or being more prone to gambling and wanting to gamble once they're an adult and able to, to gamble in a for money situation um, than not. And that came out of Europe. And I think in that way, that just a label, because I don't know, your, your parents were no, nothing like mine, but they're not going to reek jack crap. So having just a label on boxes, yeah, no, I was saying that um, I believe that there's a possibility that maybe some of these games should be, I mean, NC-17 is pretty much non-existent, you know what I mean, in games, or AO as it were, but something that says you have to be above the age of consent slash an adult, you know, 18 in our eyes, um, to be able to buy this, to make sure that, we're, you know, for anybody below that who's still developing their mental capa capacities and their opinions, you know what I mean, that they're not influenced by, you know, yeah, gambling's great. Go out and gamble gamble your life savings away. It doesn't matter. You know what yeah, I mean? I That's can... something that, that I truly do believe in. If there is a, a direct correlation between the psychology of a child, you know, picking up these games, something that you think is simply harmless, that's a little Dragon Song game where you can do this, you know what I mean, or whatnot, and you give it to your kids, and all of a sudden they're hooked on gambling for the rest of your life. I don't think that's, you know, necessarily a good idea, you know, and that's and, why. And I think you're making a very good point, especially when you try to look at the long-term effects, because I know, um, okay, with Final Fantasy Record Keeper, I've done more in-app purchases than I like to think about, but I'm not a whale. You know, I'm not one of these people who spends hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars on this game a month. And I know my son, he's, uh, you know, I've done a few because he also plays the game and I've done a few, you know, draw in-app purchases for him. But I tried to stress to him, OK, this is real money we're spending here, you know, and, you know, also I try to you know tell him don't chase artifacts because you'll get some people you know, if there's like one artifact on one of these banners that they really, 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 really want, they'll spend, you know, they'll, well, they'll blow all their mithril to try to get it. If they don't have that mithril, they'll, they'll drop, you know, three, four hundred dollars trying to get that one relic. And I know I've told my son, don't do that. You're only going to set yourself up, up for disappointment. But when you yeah. talk about some of the effects, you're you're not just whistling Dixie because I remember you were mentioning Europe. I remember uh, reading an article a while ago. They were talking about, you know, there was that Smurf Village game. And okay. there was a kid who, I'm not sure if this one was in Europe or not, but um, I know I have heard stories coming out of Europe of uh, kids doing this where they ring up thousands of dollars on you know the on these games because they don't realize that it's they're spending real money and mom and dad might not realize they're spending real money and my son had an, uh, an experience back when he was younger i downloaded some game called tiny zoo for my iphone and he was playing it and then i looked back later and i noticed all of a sudden 
he had a million in-game dollars. Like, wait a second. What just happened? And then I turned, I found out he, he did a $100 in-app purchase. Now, yeah. fortunately, Apple, they refund, they gave me that one-time refund. And they also, uh, you know, they gave me the instructions for how to make it where you have to sign in to do in-app purchases. So that was a lesson learned. But yeah, there's, I know Game of War is another one of those games where people have spent a lot of money on it. And yeah, it's, this actually, you know, translates rather, rather nicely into the opinion section of today's article or today's show. Now that we've talked about some of the news and some of the current events in gaming, there was an article I read a few years ago and I apologize. I don't remember the name of the guy they were interviewing, but I think he was from, I'm pretty sure he was from EA. Surprise, surprise. But the article is talking about how the freemium method, which is what we've been talking about, where you get a game for free and then, you know, however you can spend money to get more stuff for it. So it's a little different than stuff like with Battlefront 2, where you have to pay 60 bucks for the game and then spend another. I think they were saying like you have to spend like about $80 to get the rest of the stuff. Mm -hmm. But this executive was saying that he thinks that freemium is the future of gaming, that eventually all video games are going to move to this freemium model where you get the game for free and then it would, then it would be supported by these in-app purchases so what are your opinions on that? Do you think that freemium is the way of the future or do you think that the this EA executive was making a wishful prediction? Oh no, he wasn't making a wishful prediction at all. I mean, look at some of the games we have now where you pay $60 and then you're riddled with microtransactions afterwards. I mean, we are in a, a freemium premium environment at this point. I mean, there's, there's, I guess, differences between good DLC, bad DLC, good microtransactions, and bad microtransactions, but I think they've kind of moved away from freemium in a way to make sure that they get their $60 and then they get the rest of their money too. I mean, look at some of the collector's editions and different editions they have now for different games. I mean, you've got Call of Duty, which not only has the you know three i believe the premium edition regular edition collector's edition then they have a battle pass afterwards uh battlefield is pretty much the same way except in the battlefield situation now we've got you know you can't even tell you need a spreadsheet to figure out what day you can actually play the game on <laughs> um to buy the edition that you bought i mean Freemium, in my opinion, is almost ancient news in this in this day and age because they're they're skipping that model just so they can try to make sure and monetize. You know, instead of freemium, I believe the industry has gone with this live services standard where everything's a live, ever-growing service that needs to and the beast needs to be fed. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, I I can't see the freemium model the way that all video games go. 
I can still see for like cell phone games because, you know, games that digital download games, you know, because that I can see them getting away with freemium because you're getting the game for free and you get you get a chance to play it and, you know, spending money is totally optional. I don't force the reason I don't see that being the way of the future is there's still people that like physical games. You know, yeah. for whatever reason, they like having that physical copy. Maybe it's because they just don't want to bother with having to upgrade their hard drive so they can keep downloading more stuff. Or maybe, like, one of the reasons I personally like uh, phys- having a physical product is because this way, if I don't like the game, at least I can take it to a secondhand store and sell it for a few dollars. Exactly. You know, where, and I know the secondhand market is another one of those. Uh, things that the video game industry has a a hate love hate relationship with. Well, I don't know. I would say maybe more a hate hate relationship. It's it's just a matter of they want they want their money and to know that somebody's getting more money than them, which they're not really, but you know what I mean that they're getting any money from their product after the fact is one of those things, you know, grace sin, you know. <laughs> yeah, cuz I guess the reason I couldn't see it being practical for all games how would it work for something that's not like a mobile game, something like a Final Fantasy Record Keeper or, uh, you know, like a Game of War or, you know, those other games where it's ongoing like that? I mean, uh, I was actually talking about this with my son one, you know, the other night. Like, let's say, for example, Final Fantasy Fifteen. I mean, how mm-hmm. would a freemium version of that work? I mean, would it just allow you to to only download... Like all, maybe you get all the chapters, but you only get the story, you know, the story, the story quests and the stuff that you need to complete the main story. And you'd have to pay extra to do the side quests. Or would it be like, uh, cause like, I know they did this with final fantasy 15 pocket edition where you can download the first chapter for free. And then if you like it, then you can buy, you know, the rest of the game. That I have no problem with. I mean, if yeah. I can, it, I mean, that model is actually pretty old. It goes back to the days of shareware, you know, where yeah, uh, you could like one example game I can think of off the top of my head, Castle of the Winds Part Two. You, uh, the way it worked there is if you got the demo version, the shareware version of it. You got the full game up until level 10 because there was this dungeon you had to go into. And I think it had like 20 some levels, you know, 20, 30 levels, something like that. But it would let you go to, you know, the 10th level of the dungeon. And then after that, well, it's, you know, you got, you, you pay, you know, you, you pay to unlock the rest of the game. And, you know, you also got, like, a physical copy of it, and you also got, like, a tip sheet and stuff. So, okay, that I can see working. But, yeah, I couldn't imagine that working for most types of games. No, and and I I agree with you. I mean, there's always going to be a freemium market, I believe, in in the um, cell phone area. You know what I mean? You're always going to have games that just want your attention, once they have your attention, they're going to be wanting your, you know, whatever they're going to sell. You know what I mean? Um, now, one thing is they do have a 
rather well-liked freemium game on like PS4, Xbox, and it just came to Switch currently, um, which is called, is it Warfront? No, not Warfront, but Warframes. It's a kind of a mech combat game. Doesn't and, sound familiar. Yeah, it just came out, I believe. Um, but for Switch anyway. Um, but people seem to like that, and it's and I don't exactly know because I haven't played it, but it follows the freemium mod- model, and it's been going on for quite a number of years now. So it's not a bad model at a, in some ways, because as long as you can play it without having to spend extra money, you know what I mean? That's not a bad thing, but I just can't see it going for your AAA, even your, you know, AA games that are just, you know, there that, you know, there's always going to be a want for somebody to have something that without spending, like you said, spending any money, you can just complete it and not have to worry about anything and experience the game. Yeah, and and again, it's just because, like, your AAA games that, you know, you would buy for your Xbox or your PlayStation or your Switch, it's a different, you know, in a lot of cases, it's a different environment than something you download for your iPhone. Uh, you know, again, you we you mentioned, uh, you know, the, I, you know, just something like to pass the time. Like, you know, maybe you're waiting for a doctor's appointment or something and you, pl- you know, whip out your cell phone and play a couple of games of... Uh, you know, of, of Candy Crush or, you know, Angry Birds, whatever. And I guess here's a pro- another reason I don't see it as being sustainable is the way the freemium method works is they, they release the game with the understanding that most of the people who play it aren't going to spend a penny on it. Then they'll have some people that'll spend, you know, a few dollars here and there. That's where I am with Record Keeper. You know, I'll spend yeah. a few dollars here and there. But I'm not going to spend, and if they're doing like a really, occasionally they do something called a dream draw or dream relic draw, and this is where they really get you, where you pay for the draw, but then you get to choose a relic after you've done your draw. So that's always good if there's like a specific relic you want. Uh, Yes, I know, I admit I've fallen for the trap a couple times, but again, I'm still not one of the people in the third category, the whales. You know, these are the people who... They're the ones that keep the game going because they're the ones dropping hundreds of dollars a month on a cell phone game. So again, yeah. I just don't see that being sustainable because I don't think there's enough people out there who are willing to constantly spend that much money on a AAA title to you know to to keep it going. So yeah, the pro- the problem is is there there are less whales than normal people so if your whales either die off or find something else shiny to go for um your game is toast and the second thing is is that I, just in this last year i know you don't necessarily pick up everything new that just comes off but in the gaming world in this last year we have more, had more quality titles i think in the last year than we've had for the last two, you know what I mean? Just in a one year period, um, as games are getting better, you know what I mean? As times are becoming shorter for things, you know, there's less time for those freemium titles to grab your attention and really keep it for long enough to make you want to spend money, you know, at least in the gaming sphere. And, you know, how are they going to keep up? Because with the freemium model, you can't put the, with no guarantee that there are going to be whales out there, 
how do you keep up with games that are, you know, generally actually good to play? Yeah, and and again, you make a good point. It's like, it's like you know the member. You probably have you seen Up? Yes. Yeah, it's like Squirrel. You know, it's like yeah, that's kind of like I think that's what a lot of the people who are really really into the casual games are like. You know these you know these cell phone freemium games. You know they'll play it, but eventually, I mean, if the game's not inter- introducing new material at a fast enough rate eventually players are going to get bored and they're going to move on to a different game. Uh, I think that's what caused a bit of a decline in Pokemon Go for a while, but I do have to admit that's a game that's come back for me where I, I, I am playing it more constantly now. I have a I have a confession for my Pokemon Go. The other day, I ra- it was the, the last community day, I ran out of Pokeballs. And I don't get to, you know, wander around too often usually. So I'm like, I'm just going to spend the 10 bucks or the 20 bucks to buy the Pokeballs. Yeah, accidentally hit it twice and uh, spent 40 bucks on there. So I've even got hit with it too. So Yeah, and, and I'm usually not the kind of person to judge someone based on how they're spending their money. I guess the way I see it, if someone can afford to spend hundreds of dollars a month on a cell phone game and still have enough money to pay their bills, you know, take care of themselves. And if they have a family, support their family. Again, if if you can take care of your priorities and still have enough money to spend $500 a month on a cell phone game, more power to you. However, I would like to ask, where do you work and are they hiring that they, that they, they pay you that much? <laughs> exactly i so, that's oh my god so any final thoughts before we close this episode today nope uh the the game advertisement awards are coming up on thursday that'll be interesting to see what's announced um it's always a good time <laughs> yep um otherwise you know i'm gonna play my red dead redemption 2 and stay away from the online component <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not not one of those people who has hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on their gold bars, as it were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. And until next time, keep on gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.